Well, good morning, church. It is really good to be with you this morning. It's been uh, some time since I've given you a, a wildlife sighting update. It's been quite a few weeks, and it has uh, become kind of a, a maybe a silly practice, but a practice nonetheless to let you know when I see a bear. I spend a lot of time out in the backcountry, especially on my mountain bike, and I haven't seen a bear in the last uh, quite a few weeks. But over the years, one of the things I've seen, and I saw this just a couple weeks ago, uh, base jumpers, that is people who like to jump off of buildings and bridges and parachute to the ground, uh, they do this on the Forest Hill Bridge, they do it right at sunset. And so just a couple weeks ago, I'm riding my bike, uh, coming up from the bottom of the canyon, and I'm very proximate to, to the bridge and elevation and line of sight. It's almost dark, and I hear this boom, and it was a parachute opening in the canyon under the bridge, and then I heard another boom, two uh, base jumpers uh, going off the bridge, and I kind of howled and congratulated them as I was the only one, I think, in their audience uh, watching them, and uh, I didn't get any pictures or anything, so I looked uh, online, and I have a, a brief clip. This is from about 10 years ago of someone going off the bridge, parachuting. This is illegal. Don't try this at home. Not endorsing this. But uh, let's go ahead and just take a look at this guy, uh, if this, this rolls. He's got his parachute on the back there. And this is what I saw. This guy, uh, very high level of difficulty here. He does three backflips, three backflips. And then his chute goes off. And that single track trail there I ride on very frequently. And his landing point is where the trail gets wide, a dirt road right there. And, and the two guys that I saw a couple weeks ago, they didn't do the backflips, but stuck the landing, did well. So that's what I saw out there, and that has nothing to do with my sermon. Just thought I would share that with you as we get going. Visitors are like, what kind of church is this? Um, we are a church that is rooted in the Word of God, and we uh, go through the Scriptures uh, verse by verse. And we have taken a break during the Advent season and we have looked at Revelation chapter 12. And so today we're going back to 1 Samuel, where we left off uh, back on November 20th. So for those of you that have memories like me, let me kind of reset the stage for where we are in 1 Samuel chapter 21. That is, let me tell you what's going on in this part of the book. What's, what's going on is David has been anointed as king. He has God's spirit upon him to, to lead Israel and to be uh, the man that leads his people. But someone else is hanging on to the kingship. And throughout history, and even in present times, we have all sorts of men who cling to power desperately and don't want to transfer that power to another leader. And this is the situation with King Saul. God has withdrawn him from him as king of Israel, and he has anointed David to be king, but, but Saul is still functioning as king, and he will do anything to stay in power. We have seen him be willing to murder and kill his own son, Jonathan. And much more pronounced than that moment of anger is his anger toward David. And he wants David dead. He wants David out. 
And so David is in this desperate situation. And the king of Israel, who has all of these resources, uh, the, the ancient equivalent of the, of the CIA, uh, some of you who have uh, a good memories might remember a Dog the Edomite, who was in this town, Nob, and he was like a spy for Saul, and he's watching David, and David is living in a terrible situation as a fugitive. So this is where we pick it up today, and before we get into the text, I want to say that although it is extremely unlikely that you or I are going to find ourselves in a situation where someone is trying to take our lives, we will be in our hearts and in our life circumstances in a similar situation that David is in if we draw the circle big enough. We're not going to be precisely in the situation he's in, but you and I have all experienced times in life, maybe you're in one right now, where you, you feel like things are closing in on you, and, and you're uh, afraid, and your uh, temptation is to be anxious, and to, to be low, and to, and to look inward, and just, just do whatever you can do to survive. And David has this going on in his heart, but what we're going to see in this, today's passage is he actually does much more than take care of himself. And he looks outside of himself. And so our theme for today, if you will, is serving others uh, when you're down. Not something that a pastor in his own flesh or mind would come up with. This seems like something that we ought not to do. But this is what we're going to see in today's text, and we see it in a variety of places. David, in this situation of being a fugitive, of being down, of being, de of being desperate, and yet he is caring for others. So let's uh, jump into our text for today. Hopefully you, hopefully you have your Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 21, and we're going to begin looking at verses 10 through 12. So 1 Samuel 21 have your Bibles or devices open so you can track with me today, beginning at verse 10. It says, That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And then verse 12, David took these words to heart, and he was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So let's just pause here for a moment, and I think one of the things that we should see in this text today, although the word isn't here, we should see David's desperation. He, he is desperate enough to leave his home country, his homeland, to go to Gath, if that rings any bells, this was the place where David recently killed Goliath. He's gone to Goliath's hometown. Now that is not the place you want to go when you have just taken out their mighty warrior. So this lets the reader know how desperate of a situation that he's in traveling uh, to Gath. So he is so afraid. He's afraid of Saul. Now he's afraid of the king of, of Gath because his people have recognized who he is. And so out of this fear and anxiety, what is he going to do? 
Where is he going to go? How is he going to respond? Uh, Matthew Henry writes this in his commentary. He says, David, though king-elect, is here an exile, designed to be master of vast treasures. God has designed him to be king over this nation. Yet just now, begging his bread, we saw that back in November, a few paragraphs ago, anointed to the crown, and yet here he's forced to flee from his own country. He's in a low place. He's in a desperate place. Matthew Henry goes on and says, Thus God's providences sometimes seem to run counter to his promises. If you can use your imagination and enter into David's life and experience, you could see where he's saying, yeah, Samuel anointed me. I'm going to be king and I'm, I'm, I'm on the run. I'm fearful for my life. This isn't how I thought life was going to be. This is where this text is relevant to you and me because if you're not in that situation now, you probably have been in the past or will be in the future. That is in the situation where it seems like God is, is not with me. His hand isn't upon me. And we have these temptations to, to fall low and to, to be desperate and full of fear and anxiety. And so David, has, has, in his desperation, has fled to Gath, hoping this would be a place of refuge. But they recognize him. And so look what he does. Come back to the text here and look at verse 13 and following. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Verse 14, Achish said to his servants, look at the man, he is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? And so the king, Achish, dismisses David as a crazy or insane person. So there's a couple ways, as we reflect on what we've just looked at here, a couple ways to, to, to respond to what's going on here. One is, and, and this may be right, although I'm tending toward the second position I'll get to in a moment, but one way to take this is, is David is an incredible you know, Academy Award-winning actor. And he couldn't fool the people, but he has fooled the king into thinking, no, I'm not, I'm not that guy that, that took Goliath down. I'm not the one that everyone's been talking around, talking about in the, in the whole known world. The Philistines were the superpower of, of the world at that time. No, I'm not the guy that took down uh, Goliath and, and defeated the Philistines. No, I'm, I'm a crazy person. So he may be this incredible actor, and he may have pulled that off. Or it's possible, even though the text doesn't say this here, we're going to see as we move through 1 Samuel, which we're going to finish up 1 Samuel right before Easter, as we move through it the next few weeks and few months, we're going to see this king show favor, King Achish show favor to David later on. And so there's a possibility that he isn't duped by his Academy Award-winning performance as a, as a crazy person, but like all of his subjects, his citizens, he recognizes this is the king. This is the future king of Israel. This is the one who took Goliath out. And there's some kind of kingly uh, favor going on here. And he shows this to David and lets him go. So you can discuss at lunch uh, what, what it is and, and get back to me. But I'm, I'm leaning toward that second um, situation 
But we see, again, David's desperation in, in just, you know, if you're in his situation, what are you going to do here? Well, I'm going to pretend to be a crazy person and hopefully get out of here and get dismissed. And that is actually what happens. So let's come back to our text here. We're just going to go through verse 5 of chapter 22. And then I'm going to talk about three uh, implications or applications of, of this passage. So he gets dismissed from this, this king after this charade of pretending as though he is crazy. And then we come to 22 and verse 1. So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. Let's just finish up through verse 5, and then I'll, I'll make some comments on these, on these verses. So from there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. So David has, has gotten to a place both physically and spiritually, where, where he's safe. But then look what happens. Our last verse for today, verse 5. But the prophet Gad, just as uh, Saul had Samuel speaking to him, David now has God speaking through this prophet Gad. And Gad says to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. Go back to the place where Saul has more authority and power. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. So a few comments on these verses 1 through 5. The main thing that I want us to see, and I think God wants us to see in verses 1 through 5, is that David does not withdraw into simply caring for himself. He's on the run. He's trying to survive, absolutely. But did you see what happens here? His family, his father and his mother, and, and probably the whole household, including siblings, they're not mentioned, but certainly the mother and father, have gone to him in this foreign land. Why? Well, just like today, there's kidnapping, there's all of these things that could go on. They're in danger as well. So they go to him. They're looking to him as the leader, as the, as the future king. So instead of just looking inside of himself, he now has his parents to care for. And not just his parents, but 400 other people. And did you see what the makeup of these 400 people are? These are people who have very low credit scores. Did you see that in the text? They are discontented. Or one translation puts that they were people bitter of soul. So people who are in debt, who are in distress, who are bitter in soul, 400 of them, and his parents and family have left Israel, have left Judah, and gone to where he is in this place of refuge to seek him and help from him as a leader as he is a fugitive. That is a lot to handle. And one of the things that I believe, the, the central thing in 1 through 5, that God wants us to see is that David is not simply looking to himself, but he has this other orientation. And he is able, by God's grace, to serve others in the midst of a time of suffering, a time of, of desperation, 
uh, a time which many of us, although not in his identical situation, can relate to very much. So very, at the very heart of the sermon is, in this text, is how do you and I move to a place like that? How can we move to a place where you could be caring for your, your parents or for others when you are in a desperate and difficult situation yourself? So three points to try to, to, to apply this and look at implications of this text that we've just looked at. The first one, you need to be patient with me. This sounds like it's discouraging. Like, you, we came here this morning to hear that everyone suffers. Uh, yes, in part you did. The Bible reminds us that suffering, being on the run as David is, the trials, the tribulations are not a sign that we are away from God necessarily. We could be at the very center of his will and experiencing trials and tribulations and desperation. And so we need to be reminded that everyone suffers. Now we all don't suffer exactly the way David has. In fact, almost none of us here have suffered precisely the way he is, where a king and a government and authority is, is after us unjustifiably to oppress us, to kill us. Probably no one here has been in that situation. But there is a spectrum of suffering. And we all have suffered, and it is a question of degree, not a question of whether we have or have not suffered. The Bible reminds us of this in many places. Acts chapter 14. Look on the screen. Look at it with me. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, wait for it, what are they saying to encourage them? What is it? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, how can that be encouraging? Well, it can... It's not encouraging to be in a tribulation or a trial or, or to be on the run or be suffering, but it can be encouraging to say that that tribulation or that trial or that suffering that you're going through is not, does not necessarily mean that you are outside of the will of God. And this is part of what we go through as followers of Jesus. He himself suffered more than anyone else, and we as his followers are also going to suffer. This is a reminder this morning of something that this passage in 1 Samuel teaches and the New Testament teaches as well. Look on the screen with me at John 16. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. We as his followers, we have tribulations as we, as, as we live life in this world that opposes Christ, that opposes the gospel, and, and seemingly increasingly so, especially in our state and in, in our environment. So we shouldn't be surprised at that. In the world, you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. And that's where we want to go in the sermon, is, is to find the courage to overcome the, the discouragement the depression, the being on the run, the suffering, whatever form it takes. But here I am simply reminding us that we should not be surprised at the reality of suffering, whatever form it takes, persecution, being on the run, or uh, an illness, or whatever it is, uh, we, we've all experienced 
trials and tribulations of a variety of kinds. I don't know if you were watching Monday Night Football um, a week ago, yesterday, anybody watching that? I mean, just this very hyped game. Uh, those of you that aren't familiar with football or don't watch it, it's like these two great teams and it's Monday Night Football and it's the only game on and you're watching this football game and what looked like was a, a routine hit uh, by uh, Damar Hamlin. He gets up right after the hit and then he collapses. And it didn't take very many seconds or minutes to realize this was not an ordinary injury and there's CPR on the field and an ambulance on the field and not too many minutes go by and the game is canceled. And, and in light of this tragedy, there was some, some beauty. Uh, if you were watching, did you guys see the team, the Bills? Just, I, I mean, the, both teams, yes, to see prayer, to see people gathering in prayer on Monday night football on the field after this tragic event, it was just, uh, it, it, was, it was emotional uh, to watch. Trials and tribulations are things that come into our lives, and we shouldn't be surprised at them. And God wants them to be redemptive and to be, to be something that he gets glory out of. And so we're asking the question in the context of 1 Samuel 22, how does David get to a place of overcoming the fear and anxiety where he can care for his parents and 400 people that are not the cream of the crop? These were not West Point graduates that came to him in this foreign land, the soldiers that came and the men that came. How do we get there? One writer um, or, or not one writer, this is uh, Damar Hamlin. The day, uh, this was yesterday on his Instagram. This, this man who had cardiac arrest and was getting CPR on the field, um, yesterday he, he put on his Instagram, uh, the love has been overwhelming, but I'm thankful for every single person that prayed for me and reached out. Um, I mean, the, the world, much of the American world and football world who are, who are believers, especially we've been praying for him. My wife and I prayed for him as we were going to bed. Um, that night. So here's what I was about to read from this one man, Dave Zuliger. He, he writes this. He says, God means for us not to let our suffering, and I'm thinking of David mostly here, God means for us not to let our suffering become an excuse to just focus on ourselves. David is not focused on himself in 22, 1 to 5. He's trying to save himself, and he's doing that successfully. He's alive, and he's breathing, but now he has responsibility. So how does this happen? How do I move from self-focus when I'm suffering? How do you move from a, a complete shutdown and just trying to survive and focus on yourself when it feels like the walls are closing in, whatever the cause of that is, how did David move from self-focus to suffering? We know that he was very afraid. It says it in verse 12, that, that he was very much afraid. And in the broader context of all of these chapters, I mean, he is on the run. He is afraid 
and he is full of fear. What does he do? How does he make this? How could God's word help us today to be prepared for trials and tribulations, whether it's falling flat on the field in the middle of a game, whether it's people coming after you in a variety of ways who want to discredit you or take you down? Well, we can connect this passage with another passage where we learn about how David made it through this time. And it's in the Psalms, Psalm 34. And less than a year ago, when uh, several of us from our small church staff here, uh, Sedona, our former administrator and myself and and, uh, a few others of us were at uh, a gospel coalition conference. And I got this, I've showed this to you guys before, but I like take every advantage to show it to you. I just, this is the Psalms in a little Psalms Bible or Psalter. It's the same thing that's that's in here. (laughs) Like there's nothing new. It's the same words, but for some reason, like getting this copy of the Psalms has been such a blessing to my life to read. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pulling it out and, and reading it, even though I have it on the screen here. So Psalm 34 um, on the screen here has a title, and it says, when he feigned madness before Abimelech, which is another name for the king in our passage here. So Abimelech and Achish, or however you want to say his name, they're the same guy. So Psalm 34 is David's prayer at this time, the end of 1 Samuel 21, the beginning of 1 Samuel 22. And so the title in in the translation I have here in front of me says of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech or Achish, so that he drove him out and he went away. So this psalm, which we don't have time today to go through this whole psalm, if we were like in colonial times, I would say, okay, you guys go to lunch now, and then we'll come back, and we'll pick it up here, we'll go for another hour, or something like that, but we're not in colonial times. It's okay to say amen. Um, We're going to be briefer, and we're going to just look at one verse instead of a a two or three hour sermon, we're going to have a much shorter one. But Psalm 34 is what David did in the context of 1 Samuel 21 and 22. It's what he prayed, it's where he found grace, it's where he found strength. And so let's just look at the first verse of Psalm 34. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now that's not where he was. Where he was is very much afraid and anxious and, and pretending to be someone that he's not and doing all kinds of things, not just here, but in the last few chapters, he, he, he's been doing all kinds of things. And so the best thing that he has done is turn to God and ask God for his help. And so this is, this is a longing prayer. This is an affirming prayer. He, he's not saying here, you know, I, my entire life, have always blessed the Lord at all times, and praise is continually on my mouth. This is what he's praying because this is not where he is at, and this is where he needs to be. He needs to be praising God and having a God-centered focus in the midst of 
of his life being threatened. So what I'm trying to say out of Psalm 34 is that there is no season not to bless God. And we can find grace when we are in trials, when we are down, when the walls are closing in, when people are persecuting us, or when we have an illness, or whatever it is that's going on. We can open the Psalms, and the Psalms will give us the words that we need to pray, and then God's grace will strengthen us so that we can do something extraordinary like care for parents and care for these 400 not top-grade soldiers that have come to be his men. Tim Keller writes this. He says, Psalms depicts, the book of Psalms depicts every human situation, wonderful to horrific, and every emotional condition. In every case, it shows how to process the condition in prayer before God. There is no book in the world like Psalms. Keller is saying the book of Psalms is a a book to help you and me with our emotions and with our thoughts and with our discouragements. And so we see how David, the author here of Psalm 34, prayed when he is down and out and, and is now called to lead and to help others. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is what he is praying as he is overwhelmed and discouraged. So there is no season not to bless God. That doesn't come naturally when we are down and discouraged and the walls are closing in. So we need to open our our Bible or our phone or your paper or whatever. I'm just happen to be liking this, this guy right here. Can you see how much I like this, this, this little version here? I've been reading it every single day. And I have been experiencing God's grace. I've been reading the Psalms every single day. And I have been experiencing God's grace as I learn to pray the Psalms because these are not my normal way of praying. I don't know how to pray rightly. And so God has given us the Psalms to teach us in part how to pray rightly. So everyone suffers. This shouldn't be a surprise to us. And there is no season not to bless God. So with this homicidal king coming at David, while he's on the run from this homicidal Saul, David actually ends up serving. He serves his parents. He, he serves those, uh, as I've already mentioned, with a low credit score. Those who are in debt, these are the kinds of folks who have left Israel and Judah to come to him. And he's, he's leading those with, a bit, with bitter, those who are bitter of soul. This is a tough crowd to lead and to serve and to care for. And so he is in desperate need of God's grace And he's found that by going before God and praying. And we have the Spirit's inspired words of David's prayer in this situation in Psalm 34, which is just one of the many psalms that we should go to to pray to find his grace and strength so that we might actually be able to serve others. Something that is counterintuitive, sounds wrong on the face of it, but is very clearly at the heart of Jesus, at the heart of the gospel, and at the heart of 1 Samuel 22, 1 through 
5. Elizabeth Elliot, she writes this. She says, instead of praying only for the strength we ourselves need to survive this day or this hour, how about praying for some to give away? How about trusting God to fulfill his own promise? My power is made perfect in weakness, 2 Corinthians 12.9. That is a difficult prayer to pray, but I think the Psalms will help us, and Elizabeth Elliot is also helping us to see, especially when we are suffering, that you ask God counterintuitively to give you an other orientation, an other meaning outside of yourself. Well, where does the other go? Well, first it goes to the Lord. We only had time to do verse one. I will bless the Lord at all times. So begin to pray that. And then, by God's grace, you will begin to experience that and begin to bless him. Okay, Lord, you've given me my mother and father to care for. You've given me these men to care for. I'm going to do that by your grace. Strengthen me. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. I'm going on in Psalm 34, and I don't really have time to do that. So let's let's, um, wrap this up. What I am suggesting is that a big piece of finding joy and peace with God in our suffering is actually looking outside of ourselves, first to him and then to serving others. And this comes to the very heart of God. And let me close today with this idea. This is a big idea. This is a crazy idea. This is a beautiful idea. It goes to the very core of who God is. John 3, 35 says, The Father loves the Son. And I would like you, as I close, to use your imagination and think about before creation, before this earth. I mean, that's just crazy, right? Like, what am I asking you to do? Think about the darkness and the void, and all that exists is God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Way back before the in the beginning, way back Way back, I can't go far enough that direction. Way, way back over there. If we go back to when there was simply God, before he spoke the universe into existence, there was an other orientation in God. The Father loved the Son of God way back in infinity, eternity past. And the Son loved the Father and the Spirit Love the Son every which way. At the very heart of our God, there is an other orientation. There are three persons in God. The Father and the Son and the Spirit. It follows that for you and I to be like Him, He wants us to have an other orientation. Especially when life is hard, when trials are strong, when the walls are closing in, and even with someone with power and authority is after us, you can serve others in that context and bring God glory. And by his grace, he will bring peace and joy to you. He may not or he may alleviate that suffering. Whether that suffering goes away or not, he can bring joy and peace to you. This is the good news of the grace and power of God. Will you pray with me? 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Psalms that teach us how to pray. We thank you for David, who we haven't seen his, his major, major blunderings yet, but we can relate to him because we fail a lot, God. And yet David was a man after God's own heart because he turned to you in prayer and he found your grace and your power and your strength. And Lord, I pray that for myself and I pray that for those here today, especially who feel like the walls are closing in right now, that they would learn to pray and seek your face and get close to you as David did and be willing and able to serve someone when it seems like the last time, that seems like the, the un, most unlikely time to serve. Help us, God, by your grace to live in that way. We pray in Jesus' name.